What we're going to talk about tonight actually is evangelism. Because as we're continuing to go through the book of Acts, we're, we're seeing these guys, and they're on mission. They're doing the thing that, that Jesus called them to do. Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends to heaven, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But first he says, wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you with power. And so the book of Acts is just how the first followers of Jesus obeyed that command by the power of the Spirit, how they went out with the gospel by the power of the Spirit. And we've been seeing, basically we've been looking at what we would call the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. And this is kind of, chapter 14 is the last leg of that. So if you remember, we started off here in Antioch. That's when they were together, uh, Paul and Barnabas and others who were prophets and teachers. They were ministering to the Lord and the Holy Spirit says, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. And then they make their way through to Cyprus, and they, they're in Salimus for a bit. Paphos is where they meet the uh, pro-council, and there's the conflict with the guy who's a false prophet, who Paul does a miracle to blind the guy, and uh, the pro-council gets saved. You guys remember that, right? And last week they move over here, they do some preaching in, in, in Perga, and then Antioch of Pisidia, this area right there. We talked about how that's southern Galatia, uh, where we... Um, uh, the same area that Paul addressed the letter to the Galatians to. And so now where we are here, we pick it up in verse 14. It says, uh, verse 1 of chapter 14, sorry, it says, Now as it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, became uh, believed. Now, so they're in Iconium, okay? So this is where they are right now doing this ministry that God's calling them to do. And we're going to see, basically, this, this chapter 14, they're going to be in Iconium, they're going to go down to Derby for a bit, and they're going to go all the way back to Antioch. All this is going to happen in chapter 14. And we're, you're, you'll notice a phrase that comes up. We just read it. Uh, did we just read it? No, we didn't just read it yet. It comes up in verse 7. Uh, where it says, and they were preaching the gospel, that phrase, preaching the gospel. You see it again uh, in verse 15. It's just the word preach. It's not a phrase. It's just the word preach in verse 15. And then again in verse 21, it says, and they preached the gospel. And all three of those places, it's the Greek word. I'm going to say it wrong. Sorry, I don't really know Greek, so I'm going to just say the word wrong. It's like evangelizo. And basically, it's where we get the word evangelism. And so basically what these guys are doing is they are preaching the gospel. They're doing evangelism. They're sharing the evangel, the gospel. And so as we look at this in the last part of Paul's uh, first missionary journey, we're going to learn four basic lessons about evangelism. And this should be important to us because one of the surest signs that you know Jesus is that you want other people to know Jesus. And so if you have any inkling of that, that's a good sign. It's a good sign that you know Jesus for real. It's not just in your head, but he's, he has your heart. And if that's the case, you want to know what this looks like. What, what, do we, how, what do we expect from evangelism? What do we expect to happen? You know, what is that? I mean, let's be honest. I don't know about you, but every time we go out to do evangelism, like out on the street evangelism, I'm scared to death. Uh, this week we went out just yesterday on Saturday and I was there super late. Everyone else had been there for like an hour and a half and I got there super late and I didn't really know what to do. Honestly, I had a couple tracks and I didn't know what to do. So I went and bought an ice cream and sat on the bench. I don't know what else to do. But it's cool. I had a couple good conversations and in those good conversations I was reminded of some of these lessons that we're going to see today. 
So these guys, they go to Iconium, right? And it says that they so speak in such a way, what happens? That a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, I'd love for that to happen. I'd love to be able to so speak in such a way that multitudes of people become Christians at once. That would be amazing. So these guys do this, and what happens? That In verse 2 it says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren. And so though there were a multitude of, of, of Jewish believers in the synagogue who became Jesus followers, and a multitude of Greeks who are probably what we call God-fearers, they became Jesus followers. Though that was the case, what happens is there's these other unbelieving, in fact the word's really strong, it's really disbelieving Jews, like refusing to believe Jews, who basically are trying to poison the mind of these other people. And it's interesting because what you see happening is, is that you can understand in one sense these Jews who poison the minds of these others, because here they are, they think they're worshiping the God of the Bible. And they're in the synagogue for that purpose. And these guys come in, probably, they probably invite these guys to share a word of exhortation like we saw last week. And as they do, they tell about Jesus, and everybody says, oh, okay, we're going to convert and start following Jesus. And who wants that kind of change? And this is the thing, one of the, one of the things that we're going to see today, in fact, this is the first thing that we need to understand about evangelism is we have to understand when we're going to share Jesus with people is that the gospel actually divides people. The gospel divides people. People don't like change, and the whole message of the gospel is about change. The message of the gospel is you can change, but only God can change you. And the result of the gospel is you do change. And change makes people nervous. And so when these multitude of people you know, decide they're going to be Jesus followers, these guys are freaked out. And so they're trying to stop it. Then in verse 3 it says, Therefore they stayed there for a long time. That's Paul and Barnabas stayed there for a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to them, and bearing witness to the word of His grace, excuse me, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But notice it says, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. Now, these guys, they, they preach the gospel, a bunch of people get saved, and the, when the poison of the mind happens, when there's this problem, they don't skip town, they endure. They stay there wanting to persuade the rest of the guys. They're staying there. They're, they're enduring there because they want to uh, see, Paul and Barnabas want to see these other Jews come to know the real Jesus, come to know the Messiah. And God's working with them. God's confirming the word of His grace. God's confirming the message by these signs and wonders. This is what happened with the apostles. This is what the Bible says was going to happen with them according to uh, Mark chapter 16. Now the thing is about this, it says that though this happens, you would think, wow, these radical signs and wonders are happening. Then everyone becomes saved, right? Everyone starts to follow Jesus. No, it doesn't happen. Because this is the reality, guys. We need, we need to understand when we're talking about this whole point of the gospel dividing people is that even if you do miracles, it doesn't convince people. We, we have to be aware of that. Even doing miracles, this isn't going to convince people. Now, I'm all for miracles. We do believe God still does miracles today. We still pray for miracles today. I've seen a couple of miracles happen in my 20-plus uh, years of being a, a Jesus follower. But the point is they don't convince people. They don't persuade people to believe. It never works that way. And so what happens is, is, in verse 5 it says, And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, to the surrounding region, uh, and they were preaching the gospel there. They were evangelizing there. Now, 
These guys, because the gospel does divide people, these guys knew that the wisest thing in this situation was to flee, was to get out of Dodge, get out of town. Now, notice they're not fleeing evangelism, they're just fleeing the area. They're continuing to evangelize. They go to a new place. They're not going, oh, no, we don't want this to happen again. No, they preach the gospel. They're not afraid to preach the gospel. And this is, again, this is the main point that I want to bring up, this first point. Jesus himself said, do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, of course, when Jesus was born, the angels announced peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And ultimately, Jesus, because he is the king, he is God's chosen king, when he returns, he will bring peace on earth. But first, he brings the gospel of peace that says, listen, though you're an enemy of God, you can be at peace with God, and that gospel divides people, believers and unbelievers. It puts people in two categories. Either you believe that gospel or you don't. And that's difficult. That's hard. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like people being divided. I want us to all get along. You know, I, I don't like when people fight in this conflict. I especially hate it when it's people, and I love both people in the conflict. That's horrible. It's a horrible feeling when you love a person and you love another person, and those two people just cannot get along. And sometimes, if you're sharing the gospel, it's the gospel you're sharing that's causing that problem. And sometimes the reality is you, the, the people that you want most to come to know Jesus, the people that you love, that you know that love you, you want them to know Jesus. And what happens is you share the gospel with them and they don't want anything to do with you. It's a tough thing. It's part of us counting the cost of following Jesus. It's knowing that the gospel is going to divide people. Now, let me be really clear about this. That doesn't mean that we should take any joy whatsoever in seeing people divided. Nor should we be aloof. Nor should we be harsh and go, fine, don't need you anyway. It's good for us. It's good for us to experience some of the sufferings that Jesus experienced. Don't think that Jesus was like that. In John chapter 6, when he's preaching some pretty tough stuff, and it says that many of his disciples decided to follow him no more, and he looks at his tw- the 12 disciples and he says, what about you guys? Do you also want to leave? You know, and Peter, of course, said, where are we going to go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. Do you think he was enjoying that all those people left? No. We know he didn't because toward the end of his ministry, what does he do? He weeps over Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Part of us entering into the fellowship of his sufferings, like Paul talks about in Philippians 3. Part of that is us knowing that when we share the gospel with people, wanting to see them know Jesus, it's going to cause division. It's going to cause division. Now, it says after this, there, uh, as, uh, and in Lystra, as they're in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting... A cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. And this man heard Paul speaking. And Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt, or he leaped up. He leaped. Is that really a word? Leaped? Yeah, okay, it must be. He leaped and walked. Shouldn't this be leapt? Anyway. It really sprang up. Sprang up. Le- leaped. That's, that, that word bothers me. Leaped. It should be leapt, shouldn't it? I don't know. Anyway, he leaped up. He leaped. It was a miracle. That's the, that's, the, that's the point. This is radical miracle that takes place. Now, 
it's important to recognize, okay? Remember, one of the points, one of the reasons that Luke is writing on this history, the book of Acts, is to show that Paul is the same level of apostle as Peter. Everyone knew Peter was the kind of chief apostle or the spokesperson of the apostles. And so there's this, these parallels. And this is this whole scenario of, of Paul healing a man born lame is just like what we saw in Acts chapter 3, isn't it? It's, a, it's like a parallel. And this is one of the things that Luke's wanting to do, is to show that, okay? So it's this radical miracle that takes place, right? And so what happens? It says, in fact, I, before I say that too, I love that it, it says in verse 9 that Paul seen that he had faith to be healed. What does that look like? <laughs> what does it look like to see a person that has faith? Uh, a, a pastor that I know of um, talked about that. He, he gave a testimony once, and he was sharing about how... Um, at their church, the people were coming forward for just asking for prayer and stuff. And he said some person came up, and I can't remember what their ailment was, but he said, he looked at this person, and he says, I saw this man's faith. He says, he says I just could see this man just had faith. He, like, he knew, that man knew he was going to come up and get prayed for and be healed. He said, just, he just knew. I have no idea what that looked like. <laughs> I've not had that happen before. But it's pretty amazing that Paul saw this man's faith. Anyway, he does this notable miracle. It says in verse 11, Now when the people saw that Paul had done, or what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now, it's... It's really interesting to, to see why these guys thought um, uh, maybe Paul was more like Hermes and, and uh, Barnabas more like Zeus and why they would have kind of picked out these two Greek gods. And I'm not going to get into it because it's going to take too long. But I, I, I'd encourage you to kind of look it up. Find a really good Bible commentary and look it up because it's kind of an interesting story the way they got these parallels. Because the point I really want to bring out to you is not so much how that happened, but the fact that it happened, because this is another thing we have to understand about evangelism, okay? This is the second lesson I want you guys to get. And that is, a positive response does not equal a proper understanding. A positive response does not equal a proper understanding. You can do what you think is, is what God would have you do. God can be using you and doing something radically through you. People go, that is awesome! And it doesn't mean they know Jesus yet. <laughs> and this is really, really important. In fact, really what's going on here is Paul does this notable miracle. God does heal this person through Paul. There's no doubt about that from the scripture. Very clear. But these people misinterpreted Paul's miracle through their own worldview. And this happens all the time. It's very easy to take place where people can... Now, I'm just talking about miracles. I'm even talking about the message that we share. We can share things about Jesus. We can share things about God's love. We can share things about God. And people are going, yeah, yeah, that's good. We're thinking, it's working. It's it's getting through. But they're hearing something completely different than what you mean. If you say to a person, do you believe in God? They go, yeah, I believe in God. What does that mean? (laughs) To you, you think the God of the Bible, the Trinitarian God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, they might be thinking Star Wars, the Force. I'm serious. It's amazing how easy it is for people to misinterpret the message that we're sharing 
um, through their own worldview. This is why it's really important that we're careful and we're conversational. We need to listen as much as we speak, which is really hard for me. <laughs> we need to listen as much as we speak when it comes to evangelism. We need to be careful because people can misunderstand what we, we're trying to say. And, and we don't want to think, oh, but they're so positive about what I'm saying. Yes, because they might be thinking it means something that it doesn't mean at all. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 4. Paul exhorts us. He says, walk in wisdom towards those that are outside. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Notice that you may know how you ought to answer each one. There's, there's a lot of wisdom that we need to do evangelism. We need to think about this person we're talking to, not just people in general, but this person, this person needs to know Jesus. and They need to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and why they need to believe in him. How can I do that? Well, I need to make sure I'm speaking grace, that I'm being gracious and emphasizing God's grace. Remember, we've been talking about grace a lot through the book of Acts, right? Grace is God's unmerited favor and God's divine enabling. So we want to say, grace, you don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. It's getting what you don't deserve. That's grace. And it's divine enabling. You can't save yourself, but God can save you. God can change you. God will change you if you put your faith in Jesus. So grace, but seasoned with salt. In other words, there needs to be that saltiness. We need to not be afraid to talk about sin. We need to not be afraid to talk about consequences. We need to not be kind of afraid to disagree with somebody else's worldview or lifestyle. It doesn't mean you have to be harsh or cruel about it, but you can't be afraid to disagree. That's part of being salty. This is, can you see why we need wisdom? Because there's not like a blanket. I wish I could say, here's the cue card. Just take this with you, and whenever you talk to an unbeliever, say, excuse me, yes. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We need wisdom. These guys, God did something radical through Paul, and people still misunderstood it, even though they made a positive response. So that's the second thing. Look at verse 14. What happens next? But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with, with the same nature as you. Now, I love this. Because this is kind of the direct opposite of what we see happening. Uh, I think, yeah, Garrett was saying today, he's talking about, what's the dude's name, Garrett, that was kind of won the award? <sighs> Keenan West, yeah. And I guess he won some sort of award, I don't know, it was a Grammy or whatever, and he uh, supposedly he stood up and was like uh, on stage for like five minutes, like, yeah, bring it on, applaud, applaud. And it was just like completely full of himself, taking every bit of false worship he could get. But Paul and Barnabas... When these guys say, you're God's come in the flesh, what do they do? They tear their clothes. It's a sign of like mourning. No, we're nothing. And they run between them. They run in the middle of them. Think about this. Instead of putting themselves on a pedestal, they purposely go right in the midst of the crowd. Get right there with them to say, we are just like you. See, Paul and Barnabas knew that they were no more than rescued sinners. <laughs> That's all they were. That's all we are, right? This is, this is what we have to be really careful of. And it's, it's hard because sometimes people falsely accuse, of this, accuse us of this. Sometimes just because we talk about truth in an absolute way, because we believe the nature of truth is absolute, 
Just doing that, people think, oh, you're arrogant, you think you're better than us, blah, blah, blah. People can accuse us of that, even though we're not doing that. But because they can accuse us of that, means we need to be humble. We need to make sure that we're communicating both with our words and our actions that we recognize. Look, we are sinners just like you. We've just been rescued, and we want you to be rescued as well. We're in the same sort of sea of despair. The only difference is we have this life preserver that we're, that's, that's wrapped around us, tied to us, that we, we can't even get out of, and it's connected to the ship, and we're being pulled there slowly but surely. We're guaranteed we're going to make it. And we're just saying, grab on. There's enough for you. We're just rescued sinners. Now, Paul and Barnabas were doing this, even when they had a chance to be radically exalted. If you think about it, I wonder if they could have justified. Yeah. We're gods you know, in the likeness of men. That's kind of like the gospel. That might preach. Let's just, let's just run with that. Yes, yes, we are pretty amazing. Uh, go ahead, make some sacrifices to us. Let's meet again and we'll talk some more. Hey, this could be an open door for the real gospel. They could maybe justify it. I'll tell you what, there's a lot, there's a trend in modern churches now to say, look at us, we are the best. I got a magazine in the, in the, for the post this week. It's a ministry that it, uh, tries to help churches connect with students um, that calls me every six weeks and asks for money, and I say no. And um, the magazine, there's some, some good articles. I don't want to slag these guys off too much. They're good articles. But one of the, the, one of the articles was, The Church is the Hope of the World. I thought, I hope not. <laughs> if that's the case, we are doomed, man. <laughs> no, Jesus is the hope of the world. We're just rescued sinners. Now, what happens is, they continue to say to these guys, uh, verse 15, we are also men with the same nature as you. And he says, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Now, this brings up the third lesson about evangelism. It's the person of God that's our message. We don't preach ideas, men. We're not supposed to preach ideas. We preach a person. Ideas don't save people. Jesus saves people. We preach the person of God, the living God. Look at, well, look at what Paul does. I mean, and this is pretty risky too. Remember, they're thinking, you're the gods we worship. Come in the form of man. They want to worship these guys. They get right in the middle and say, actually, you're worshiping worthless things. That's kind of risky, isn't it? We're calling you not to worship those worthless gods, but to worship the living God. Notice, the one who created everything. Now, is that a popular message today in Great Britain? No. I'm not talking about the details of creation. Most of you guys here know what we believe about that if you don't listen to our stuff on Genesis. I'm talking about the reality of creation. That it's been made by a creator that we have been made, fearfully and wonderfully made. He's created all things. He gives things value. We have value as we have value because we're created. We're created. He says, also listen. Verse 16, who, this God who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Do you understand what that means? 
It means Paul saying, listen, yes, God has allowed people to make their choices. Romans chapter 1 talks about this. God, though, he can be seen as the creator in creation. God can be seen. His attributes can be clearly seen in creation. People instead don't worship creator. They worship creation, right? And, and when he says, God's, when he says, and God's allowed people to walk that way, he's not saying God approves of it. He's saying that's how merciful he is. He doesn't just go, oh, you won't worship me? Squish. You won't worship me? Squish. He doesn't do that. He could even be right to do it, but he doesn't do that. He's merciful. In other words, this is the living God, the one who's merciful to all. And then also, as he say, verse 17, nevertheless, here's what God did. God did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He's saying, this is the living God, the one who does good to all. Do you know what the Bible says about this God? It says that every good and perfect gift comes, is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. One of the best ways for us to testify to the person of God is talk about how good he is. And you think, yeah, but... I don't know if I can say how good he is to a person who's going through bad things. Every good thing in their life is from God. Even if they've gone through some devastating things, and he should be compassionate towards that for sure. But every good thing in their life is is from God. Their desire for relationship is from God. Their, Their ability to think is from God. The fact that they live and breathe is from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He's good to us. We, we, we forget, we, we forget how good he's been to us. This is the God that we preach. He's good to us. Now, I think it probably goes without saying, doesn't it, that you can't preach the person of God if you don't know the person of God. It's going to feel very disingenuous. It's not going to, you're going you're to feel weird. It's not going to work. You can talk about Christianity till you're blue in the face, because you can talk about it theoretically, can't you? You can have theoretical conversations about Christianity, about grace, about you know works religions versus grace religions. You can talk about this gospel or this idea, but you start talking about Jesus. You start talking about who God is, and you find it really quick. Do I really, do I really trust Him? Do I really know Him? But this is our message. This is what God calls us to share. The person of God is our message. (laughs) After Paul says this, verse 18, it says, And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. This makes me laugh for some reason, because I just get this picture of them going, Come on, guys, get to worship the real God. And, And the guy's going, You're awesome! You're awesome! Paul and Barnabas! Paul and Barnabas! I mean, you just... These four guys, you know, they're like, they're not getting it. But what happens next, verse 19, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Are there verses missing between 18 and 19? I mean, what happened? How did it go from, you are awesome, to, you're a jerk? How did that happen? Because people are fickle, man. If people don't have saving faith, they are so fickle. We're fickle even when we do have saving faith. But man, if people don't know God, they are so fickle. This is one of the the pitfalls when people allow 
other people to follow them instead of teaching them to follow Jesus. The people that follow you closely are the ones that are going to turn their back on you and slam rocks against your head later on. No, people need to follow Jesus. We don't preach ourselves, Paul says, right? For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. The person of God is our message. That's the third thing. Quickly, fourth thing. Evangelism, there's the fourth thing, ready? Evangelism is part of discipleship. Evangelism is part of discipleship. It's not a separate thing. Look what happens. Verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around Paul, he rose up and he went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, some people say that uh, during this time when Paul was stoned, to, stoned, they thought he was dead, he actually was dead, and he had the experience that he writes about in, uh, I want to say it's in 1 Corinthians 12. No, not 1 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it was. But he made a pretty good recovery because he goes to, uh, goes to this place, Derby, that we saw earlier. Notice it says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. So he's just been stoned, thinking, left for dead. He gets up, kind of shakes it off, walks to the next city. He and his partner walk to the next city, preach the gospel, and they made disciples. Now, it's important that you notice that, that Luke uses this language. In fact, you see this all throughout the book of Acts, right? It says, when the disciples gathered around them, what disciples gathered around Paul when he had been stoned to death? The ones who had just gotten saved. In other words, the people who had just become Christians are not called converts, but disciples. When, when Paul and Barnabas go to Derby and preach the gospel, what do they produce? Deci- converts? No, disciples. Of course, these people had to be converted to be disciples, but the point is this, okay? Paul and Barnabas evangelized to make disciples, not synagogue attendees. And, and, and so much of the time, you know, we were just talking to, to David and Rachel today, and they were saying how many people came at church today, and it was a, it's a big number, and, which is a good thing. I'm not complaining about a lot of people coming to church, but I was saying, oh, gosh, that makes me nervous. It makes me nervous because I think, are we actually helping these people be disciples? Or are we just getting crowded and we don't know what to do and help these people to, get, to become disciples? Because we don't want just seats filled up. We want hearts full of the Spirit. We want people who know Jesus and know how to follow Jesus and walk with Jesus. Don't get me wrong. We want people to come wherever they're at in their journey, okay? But, but my point is, we're not looking to fill seats. Paul and Barnabas are not looking just to get more people to come to the synagogue. They wanted people to follow Jesus. That's why they evangelized. Now, also it says, listen... It says, what they did is then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they're backtracking now. Remember the other line we showed you on the map? They're backtracking now. And it says, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Now, they strengthen their souls. In other words, think about this. Why did they leave those places? Because people wanted to kill them. So what did they do? They went back to those places just to strengthen the guys. I'll tell you what, just them showing up would strengthen me. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, man, Paul, Barnabas, they were cool guys. and Oh, we missed them. Oh, we'll try to figure out what it means to walk with Jesus from the couple weeks that we spent with them. And hopefully we won't get killed in the process. And then, hey, guys, we're back. Whoa, you came back. How amazing would that be? 
you guys know that's why Saeed's in prison? Saeed's in prison because, I don't know if you know this, but he was involved in planting churches in Iran. He, he got radically converted. He had a church of like 2,000 people in Iran, underground church. And then basically he met his wife, who's an American citizen. He went back. He went to the States. They got married. Um, he was doing uh, ministry in the States. He's part of our network of churches. And he, um, he was really convicted. He needed to go back and see these orphanages that they had started. And he thought, I can go in there. I can see the orphanages. That should be sufficient for the government. He went back there. They arrested him. He knew they might. And that's why he's in jail. Because he took the risk to go back to strengthen the, the disciples. Pretty gnarly, huh? And here's how he did it, though. Look how he strengthens the disciples. He says, verse 22, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So here's the first way they strengthen the souls of the disciples. Here's how they offer them strength. They're saying to him, listen, continue with Jesus in spite of how hard it gets. It gets hard, doesn't it? It's not easy following Jesus, especially if you're in a place where people are, think you're nuts for doing it. Continue in spite of how hard it gets. But what else did they say? Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every city they, and, with pray, and, with, they, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now this is in a sense like saying, okay, look, you want you to continue. Here's how you can be strong in your soul. Continue in spite of how difficult it is. Just keep pressing on. Don't give up. Just keep pressing on. But also learn from godly leadership. And let me say something about that. If you're going to learn from godly leadership, here's what has to happen. Number one, you have to have godly leadership, which means you should pray for us in leadership. Because it's hard to be a leader, and it's even harder to be a godly leader. We really covet your prayers. But learn from godly leadership. But also listen... He says, it says they, they did this thing with much prayer and fasting and told them, just continue uh, with, uh, they commended them to the Lord. They said, okay, Lord, you have these people. We leave them with you. They've trusted you. Go for it. So they kind of give this, this, they give this example. Okay, we're just going to leave you with God. We can trust God. We know we can trust God. That's why we're praying and fasting toward him. So trust God through prayers, really, you might say. This is how you strengthen the soul. This is how we strengthen one another's souls. We encourage each other, don't give up. Keep walking. I know it's tough, but keep walking. We, we learn from godly leadership. We learn from each other's godly examples. Let's be honest. You'll have, you might be in, an area, in one area of your life really strong, and I can learn from you in that area. And then in another area my, in your life, or in my life, I might be strong, and you can learn from me in that area. We learn from each other's godliness. You know what I'm saying? Learn from that. Strengthen each other in that. And trust God through prayer. One of the things that, that we really need to be better at at Servants Church is praying for each other. And I'm not accusing you guys of not praying for us or praying for each other in your prayer closet. I mean, on the spot. I don't mean that to, to, to make a show. I mean that this, we have access to the creator of the universe 24 hours a day. And we talk about things and we, we think, oh, this is really rough. It is rough. Yeah. And we say, I'll pray for you. And let's be honest, sometimes we forget. It's so humiliating, isn't it, when someone says, hey, thanks for praying for me. You're like, I actually never did. I forgot. You don't say that because you, you just say, praise God. <laughs> but you didn't pray. You, know, you forgot. But what about right then? What about just right then? You know, let's pray right now. You know, let's pray now. 
Not because you want to, oh, that, that I've done my duty, I can forget about this now. No, because you believe God wants to hear from you then, and God can work right then. That's how our souls are strengthened. That's part of discipleship. It's how we disciple one another. In fact, look at this. We're almost done. Verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they had preached the word in Perga, remember they were kind of backtracking, they went and sailed down to Achillea. Now they're working their way back to their home church in Antioch of Syria. But on the way back, what do they do? They preach the gospel. They're not like, oh, I finished my missionary journey. I'm done. I'm kicking back on the cruise. And I'm going to enjoy the Mediterranean and I eat some olives, and I'm just going to just chill out until I get there. That's not what they're doing. They're preaching the gospel on all the way back. And then it says, verse 26, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they said, hey, everybody, come up. We want to tell you what, what, what happened. It says they reported, notice, all that God had done with them. And he, how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Do you, you notice that? You see what they do? These guys knew. These guys, the, 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 the reason that evangelism was part of discipleship in their lives, and not just kind of the separate sort of thing that they did, was because they were a part of a culture of discipleship. The whole church was interested in their mission. We want to know. How many of you guys are getting um, Tom Messenger's newsletters while he's in, Ch- in Japan? Anyone? A few of you guys? Okay, what about um, Johnny Malcolm's? A few of you guys? Man, I'll tell you what, I really encourage you guys to get those things. They only take like three minutes to read. Pray. Take, read for three minutes, pray for three minutes. And you see if God's heart uh, does not begin to develop in you for the lost. And you see if you don't get excited about mission. Because what we should be, if, if we're developing a culture of discipleship, is the kind of fellowship that when those guys come back from Japan, we're like, come on, tell us what happened. We want more. We want more. We're itching to see what God did, to hear what happened. And even if it's not all glamorous and amazing, we're just blessed that someone's going out there with the gospel. How many of you guys knew we went out last Saturday, yesterday, to the street? Any of you guys know? Yeah, some of you guys knew? Man, obviously come with us if you can. But if you can't, pray for us. It's from... Um, it's usually about one to three, right, Joe? It's going to be easy about one to three. If you can't come pray from one to three, pray. You have to pray for the full two hours. You have to just stop and pray. But let's be a culture of discipleship. See, this is what Jesus calls us to. This is normal Christianity. Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. So those are our lessons for evangelism.